0: Jcastnetwork.org. Shalom. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. I'm Rabbi Joshua Heller. Today we're studying Masachet Eruvin Daf Yud Aleph Amud Aleph and Bet Tractate Eruvin 11 A and B. We're still talking about how to turn a semi-private area or a minor street called a Marvoy into a private area for the purpose of carrying on Shabbat. We've been talking up until this point about using a crossbeam or posts at the entrance, but those have their limitations. Those are only effective for an entrance up to a certain dimension, a width of 10 amot, or maybe 16 feet or so, or a height of 20 amot, about 32 feet. An opening that's bigger than that, it won't help. Today we'll encounter a much more powerful tool, the tsurat hapetach, the form of a doorway. You combine two vertical posts and a horizontal crossbeam to create the shape of a doorway. And by having that doorway shape, you can close off an open space that is much taller than 20mm or wider than 10. Conceptually, what we're saying is that a full-on doorway is fundamentally different from an opening that might be demarcated by a single beam or post or even two such elements. And it turns out this is an important construct because it is used in almost every Eruv that is created today. So the first amud of this daf covers a series of views that might object to or sink to limit the power of the Tzurat ha-petach. So for example, the sage Rav objects to the idea that a Tzurat ha-petach will work with an opening wider than 10 Amut. Another major concern is raised by Rav Yosef, that this Tzurat HaPetach structure might allow you to close off a very wide distance, hundreds of feet, with just one doorway or with a series. And so you end up with an opening that is parutz mirabah al which has more broken spaces, open spaces, than standing barrier. And you have a barrier that ends up being mostly empty space. Um, Rav Yosef's objection is precisely the reason why Surat HaPetach becomes so valuable, because that's exactly what it enables you to do to block off a great deal of space with very little material, a barrier that is mostly empty space. The Gamara really gets into this issue by analyzing the case of a man from the valley of Beit Khorsan, who put four poles into the four corners of his field and strung a vine from pole to pole, using the least possible material, the barest of frame along the edges, to create a barrier around his field. In fact, there are just the thinnest of poles at the corners and a vine across the top. He's created a whole wall with four sticks and some vines. Rish Lakish declared that this was a valid barrier for the purpose of an eruv and for the purpose of separating crops that are not allowed to be grown together according to biblical law. Rabbi Yochanan regards it as valid for separating those crops that need to be separated from each other, but not for the purpose of demarcating a Shabbat barrier. However, as most commentators understand the Talmud's discussion, the conclusion is that Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish are really only arguing about a specific situation where the vine is running along the side of the poles rather than the top. Therefore, the conclusion that most commentators come to is that as long as the top piece, in this case a vine, runs along the top of the poles and not on the side of the poles, that construction is considered to be a valid barrier no matter what the distance between the poles. So you could hypothetically construct an roof for a whole city that consisted of four poles at the corners and a whole lot of very strong vine that runs from the top of one to the top of the next. Now, of course, that's not really practical, but nevertheless, Most modern aruvine rely very heavily on this principle. There are more than four poles, but typically using either utility poles or specially constructed ones, which are at a distance of much more than 10 amot, and there will be a wire or string that runs from one to the next, creating a wall that is actually nothing but openings with only the poles, which serve as the doorposts of these doorways, and the wires, serving as the lintels or top beams of these doorways, so it is a wall which could be miles in length consisting entirely of doors. Now, of course, there's a challenge. In our discussion, we saw that to have a valid surat ha-petach, in order to have it count as a doorway, it is critical that the horizontal cross piece, the lintel, be directly over the verticals. So a typical telephone or utility pole, however, has the wires running not over the very top of the pole, but attached to cross pieces, or running attached to the side? So therefore, you have to use some special tricks to use those utility poles and make them part of a surata petach, so that somehow those wires are running across the top of something. Along the discussion, we learn some other important principles about surata petach. One is that surata petach, that shape of a doorway has to be strong enough at least to hold a door of minimal weight. The other, and so that affects the material that surata patah can be made out of. In practice, often on an Eruv, you may use material that really can't stand under its own weight, wire or even silicon caulk or thick paint running up the side of a pole or a fence as your crosspiece. However, there's another issue that comes up. We've already seen, stated fairly clearly, that the crossbar needs to be directly above the verticals. However, two sages debate exactly how this can happen. Rav Sheshit says that the vertical pieces actually need to touch the cross piece, the horizontal piece. Rav Nachman says they don't actually have to touch, they just have to be directly under, even if there is a gap between them. So let's see I'm using utility line 20 feet in the air as my top piece. Do I have to come up with a vertical that reaches all the way up the line? Or can I create a doorpost using a board or some other material that's only 4 or 5 feet high that's positioned under the line but doesn't reach it? Rav Nachman says yes, and the law follows Rav Nachman. As long as the verticals are right under the horizontal, they don't need to reach all the way up. So, often when you're building an Eruv, you have lines that are attached to a pole, but you can't use the pole itself as the vertical because the wires, the cross wires you want to use, are to the side of the pole, not directly on top. So instead, you will create fictional doorposts, 40 inches or more, tacked on to the eternity poles or to trees, positioned so they are underneath the wires that are high in the air, creating this symbolic doorpost. Thanks to Rav Nachman. I'll give you an extreme example that combines some of the principles we've just seen. I maintain an A roof for the area where I live. There is one stretch where we have to use a concrete barrier along the highway as part of our A roof, and we need to connect it to a utility line high in the air crossing that barrier. I would never be allowed to run a wire from the highway barrier up to that high-tension power line. But I was able to get permission to create a tzurat petach How? By putting a thin layer of silicone on that barrier, directly under the line, and then when that line hit a pole further down, further along, um, there is a wire going up to that line, creating a tzurat ha-petach. So I had to use a special laser level to make sure that my silicone doorpost was really under my horizontal lintel. But when I was done, I had a doorway dozens of feet tall and dozens of feet wide, consisting of an existing power line running across a stretch of road, some silicone putty running up a concrete barrier, and a wire on the other side. And this section of Talmud is what makes that kosher. At the end of this, Amud, we also see a fascinating example of rabbinic civil disobedience. Remember, Rav Sheshit had said that it's not kosher to have verticals that don't reach your crossbeam. He saw that they were doing exactly that, following the position of Rav Nachman and the position we follow today, in the home of someone very important, the Reish Galuta, who is the exilarch and the political leader of the entire community. So Rav Sheshit had his assistants, Rav Gada tear down the poles. Now needless to say, Rav Gada was punished for destroying the Exilarchs Eruv until Rav Sheshit intervened. What strikes me here is that Rav Sheshit saw people behaving in a way that he felt was too lenient and he was very active in disrupting their behavior. So we can think in our own day about whether if someone is observing in a way of which we disapprove, do we let them be or do we actively disrupt them? Do we follow the approach of Rav Nachman or Rav Sheshev. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page.